Hello, I'm Jordan. Hi, I'm Kara Cooney. Why do you not have a last name? I don't know. (laughs) My last name's difficult, so I think it's easier just to be Jordan. And this is After Lives with Kara Cooney. Should we start over? Yes, I kind of like that one. It's cute, but go ahead, do it again. Welcome to Afterlives with Kara Cooney, in which we discuss ancient Egyptian history and relevant current events that we think will be of interest to our audience. I am Kara Cooney, and I'm a professor of Egyptology at UCLA. This podcast is separate from my teaching and research roles at UCLA. In recent years, I've become active in communicating with the general public about the history of ancient Egypt through lectures, interviews, social media, books, and guest appearances. This podcast is my opportunity to take the kinds of deep dives into history that are not always possible in academic formats. Hi, I'm Jordan. Hi, I'm Kara. This is After Lives with Kara Cooney. What's up? <laughs> that took a while. Yes. But here we are. So this is our Valentine's Day episode. So it's all about love and romance and sex. Sex and yeah. sexuality, yes, in ancient Egypt. That's awesome. So content warning, if you haven't already figured that out, we're talking about sex and gender. And if you can't sexuality. handle talking about sex, you don't want to talk about sex. You don't you want to hear about autoflatio. You should switch us off now because there's going to be a lot of sex, sex, sex. Yeah. Okay. Good. I'm in. Okay. <laughs> Getting into things. In modern times, yeah. we make a distinction between sex and gender. Yes, we do. Did the ancient Egyptians? No. And, and how are and, we to understand these then? And you know, when you, you hear the differentiation between the two, you're like, sex is biologically constructed, whereas gender is culturally constructed, blah, 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 blah. I would differ. But with, a lot of people nowadays also say sex is culturally I, Yes, yeah. sex is also culturally constructed because sex is made into a binary mm-hmm. where it is not biologically. Yep. And you could imagine we go back 100,000 years and hang out with some hunter-gatherers who had a more flexible understanding, less binary view of sex. Mm-hmm. And they would understand that there were some females who presented themselves in a more masculine way and some males that presented themselves in a more feminine way. And yet they could still fall along the, obviously everyone falls along the sexual gradient somewhere, but they may have, may have had different words for it. Yeah. But or, we, but like not everyone has clear, if we're going off just like sex organs, right? It's not always no, clear it's cut, not. right? It's not. And genetically, it's always not very clear cut either. You can have an XXY. I mean, sexually, biologically presented, as I understand it, you could have the, it is a rare thing to have both sexual organs. Yeah. Right. But you could sexually have one organ and yet have a whole lot of markers for the other Mm -hmm. sex. And so, and so there are hidden things that make somebody fall in a certain place on the sexual gradient. It is a gradient. It is not a binary, but the patriarchal agricultural revolution herding revolution, yep. domesticating revolution, whatever you want to call it, created this binary that we live, a, we yep. still live within mm-hmm. and people are breaking out of yeah, it. We are changing. Now. There's a lot of breakups with this binary happening, but what we have, what I grew up with and probably what you grew mm-hmm. up with is very much an imposed culturally constructed sexual binary yep. in the same way that you have a culturally constructed gender binary. Yeah. And so all of these things are culturally constructed and it's it's super complicated. Mm-hmm. It's, it, I, I, I read about one biology class where the guy has them do their their sexual gradient 
like, I don't know, they rub like their cheek with their DNA. Yeah. I don't know how they do it, mm-hmm. but he has them look at the results at home when they're not in the company of other people because it can freak the shit out of people. Yeah, you could say all your life, you yeah. all your outside stuff yeah. is one thing, but you might on the inside actually be X, Y. Exactly. And, exactly. Yeah. And so he, he, this particular professor and I have to look up what that is. And Amber's going to have to look in the show notes. I'm so sorry. Cause that was really vague. Yeah. You write that down. Um, but he has them look at that at home yeah. so that they're safe. But these are things we're now doing now and talking about now. But in the ancient world, in the ancient Egyptian they, world. Okay, I, so first, to the ancient Egyptians, yes. no difference. Their gender categories and their sex categories. Same, same. Male, female. Yes, binary. Male, female. Options. Not that they didn't mix up that binary or combine yes. it, but that's its own thing. We're going to get into that. They love your, to work with the work. binary, the Egyptians. Don't we yeah. agree? Yeah. 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 I mean, you see it in their art. You yeah. see it in their language right we have gender female male endings to words and all these things so then do we have any evidence for intersex or gender queer individuals in egypt i mean no there what about the gods i feel like right we have that one thing at edna of neith being the creator but she's they say that she's part male Mm -hmm. and there are depictions of female divinities with erect phalli so what's going on there but that doesn't mean that they're gender queer it means that they're combining both genders or both sexes it's not somebody identifying as gender queer in my view in this binary world you know look not long ago my work was called anti-queer because I refuse to say that Hatshepsut, yeah. who was, was a female, I refuse to say that she identified as gender queer and was representing herself as that. And instead, I argue that, she, that the patriarchy is imposing a masculinity on her that she did not necessarily want. And so I understand that there is an interest in claiming a gender queerness mm-hmm. today, but I don't think that you can impose that on the ancient world that easily i don't think it works yeah. in the context that they're in and people have said the same thing about like akhenaten mm-hmm. with having a more feminine akhenaten i think is the one place where i where i think you have you, you have some room mm-hmm. to play because akhenaten does present himself as part male and part female and he bodily is gender queer don't you think or sexually queer but I think we're gender queer because he has he has the wife and he has all these daughters, yes. so he's gender queer yeah. as pre- as presented yeah. artistically. Yeah, but I think because he's a god, right? Yes. So, like the gods, he can kind of be in this other space. There's all kinds of reasons for him to do that. So, if you look mm-hmm. at his religious text and you understand that he is the only offspring of the Aten, of the sun, of the light, then he is. There is male no gender. And, there is no gender, or there is all gender. Yeah. He is male and female. He is animal everything. and human. He is everything. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the way he depicts himself hanging out with all the females, his wife and his daughters in a harem-like yeah. context does not make him look very sexually queer. It yeah. makes him look like a patriarch claiming what patriarchs get. So even there, I have, when, I have some as issues. As we'll talk about later yeah. with your coffins work about everyone having to become male. Yeah. In a way, there's not really another option. Male is the norm. So why would he ever kind of not want to look sexually not masculine? Because that's the one of power. 
Because, you know, the Egyptians did understand that the female was the container, that Mm -hmm. the female was the fierce protector of the masculine and that you needed both to be able to reproduce that role in this case. Yeah, it is. It is an interesting thing. And I suppose one would argue that Nefertiti is masculinized in her temple Mm -hmm. spaces, whereas he's feminized in his temple spaces. And Anne Austen's work has done this. She hasn't published this yet, Mm -hmm. but Anne Austen presented, and this is Anne Austen at University of Missouri at St. Louis, who was a grad student at UCLA and is now a professor um, at U of M. And she did a wonderful paper in a class that I taught that showed that as it is depicted artistically, and this is just as things are put up on walls or in statues or things like that, when you're using the grid system, that Akhenaten and Nefertiti had their own third gender, if you like that is different from what the elites were using, male or female. Mm-hmm. And only they got this yeah. grid system and this third gender. And it, it's, um, it's a really interesting ideological way pr- of presenting a, a gender choice from the very top. Yeah, artistically. Uh, in in, in art. In yeah. art, exactly. That they made a choice. Maybe not even third gender, but just like they were completely not human even, right? Yeah. You could see that. Beyond human. I think so. He's trying to depict himself and his wife as a being of light. Yeah. A being of light. Yeah. Okay. So we don't have a lot of evidence for intersex. I've read, I looked into this and like a couple, there's a couple articles about like certain words that are really hard to translate Mm. and might be translated as eunuch, which I think we talked a bit about in our harem. Which word? Um, so it's in the execration text. There's, mm-hmm. It's talking about all the people that will be affected. Right. And it says mankind, the pot, uh, the, the elite, the mm-hmm. pot, the pot, commoners, the rahit, uh-huh. men, this word, sectiu, and then women. So it's but between. Sectiu, it, I guess it's there in that context because is it spelled with the field? Uh, no. Oh, okay. Different. Yeah. Different. So it's not peasants or anything mm-hmm. like that. And it's so it's an in between, between kind of word, and it's and then there's also another the same word sectiu in the pyramid text, and it's always translated as a eunuch huh. or someone who doesn't have a phallus, huh? Or I guess yeah. I mean, and let's let's but be clear, yeah. In the same way that when you're growing up in a family or you live in a village or you're in a group context and you know that there are males who identify more as female and females who identify more as male or or whatever, but they have a different sexual expression. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying that gay or queer people did not exist in the ancient world. This is not my, this is not what I'm saying. It's not what you're saying. Mm -mm. But what we're saying is that the ancient Egyptian system didn't have a category for it, did not have a category for it, didn't write about it, didn't talk about it. It's not necessarily that they didn't allow it, but it wasn't something that drew much attention. And that in and of itself is, is quite interesting. Yeah. It wasn't punished. Yeah. There's no punishment. In the same way that you don't have a, a virginity test for a female mm-hmm. you don't have oh my god you're gay now i have to stone you yeah. sort of thing it was probably just something you did and but mm-hmm. you were also expected probably to get married and have kids mm-hmm. and and go about your ways yeah so yeah yeah um but yeah so besides these like weird hat packs that show up very infrequently not a lot of good evidence um for any of these things and like you mentioned the gods some gods having you know the other genders characteristics popping up. But again, these are like weird, like hoppy people always talk about, but hoppy is the flood, right? Yeah. The inundation. And hoppy is depicted with breasts that hang like a, like a woman who's, who's, who's breastfed already, multiple yes. times, yeah. not once, not yeah. twice, like three, four times. Those are the way those breasts are hanging They're down right. from hoppy. 
and then the pregnant sort of belly. Belly. Mm -hmm. But they. But then. But it's a male god. Yeah. With the kilt. So and there's no penis showing because you don't with the divinities show the penis unless it's erect Erect. coming forth like Amun Min or Min himself Mm -hmm. or Atum. This different thing. But um, he's got a kilt on and you don't see anything like that. But the flood. If you think of the Nile flood, it is. At the one moment, the efflux of the gods, like a giant orgasm, <laughs> right? A giant yeah. ejaculation. Uh-huh. And the Egyptians thought of it in that way. Yeah. So there's bringing that. life to the land. And yet that inundation is contained in a channel. It is contained within the feminine space. You cannot have one without the other. And the Egyptians, in a very elegant way, depicted this mm-hmm. in an anthropomorphic form, mm-hmm. male and female. Um, simultaneously, fecundity in all of its exactly forms. fecundity in all of its forms, yeah. both together in one human being. And I think that's what Akhenaten is. Using. I think if anything, the Egyptians were less strict, and it's hard for mm-hmm. us. We are still very much stuck in our little binary, and want it to be like, okay, well, the Egyptians did male and female, so then we want to see those strict them adhering to these strict gender roles. But it's always, always fuzzier and looser than yeah. categories ever are, even like in the language or something like this. When people don't talk about something and it's left out, even though we know it's a human constant mm-hmm. or a mammalian constant, yeah. sex is not binary, gender is not binary. These things are, are very messy yeah. and very complicated. What's those are uh, the California condor. Is that the bird that self impregnated itself the the females could just lay fertile eggs that i didn't know this and she didn't need a male and they were like what? that's insane and she just self-replicated so virgin mary spontaneous yeah. birth and i know like salamanders can do things yeah. like this and change sex when and they change need sex to. and yeah but yeah. when something is mentioned and it's mentioned that this woman committed adultery therefore we, we must stone her mm-hmm. that means that there's competition within the society about the lineage of yep. the male property that that laws property laws those things are are you know they come down hard on it yeah. the fact that they're not doing that in ancient egypt they're not they're not stoning women for adultery there seems to be a much looser sexual way of going about things mm-hmm. there is less discussion of what it means to be queer there's no discussion of of any of that yeah. probably because there was more flexibility there's and so they don't put it down anywhere some, but they're not celebrating it either no but we see some evidence i, I have i think a question about this later on where you see maybe if you're in the subordinate role mm-hmm. that being looked down upon like well and what's your text for that um well the horse and seth yeah but there's also that one text um there was an article i read about this by um uh wilfong i think terry wilfong yeah about the oh parkinson actually sorry parkinson, uh, Richard where parkinson. the there's a term called like back turner like someone who back turns uh, their back yeah and yeah. he translates it as it's he's seeing it as a denigration to being the subordinate one in a right. male on male sexual encounter but you could also just say you're turning your back on a situation i I don't think it necessarily has to be read as you're getting yeah catching yes um yes i mean yeah within an agriculturally based patriarchal society in which you need more males it is a problem to have to to be a male but but also males can always You know, it's not like a woman where you have a short period of time to have children and you only release one egg a month. And it's this very kind of maybe thing you have to, men can do both (laughs) and still have kids. And And they don't have menopause and they don't die in childbirth. There's not like a, a, um, a limited time on their, on their 
reproduction years. So I just gave a talk about this at ASOR. Mm. Um, Ameri- the, what is it? The American Schools of Overseas, Overseas Research. Research. Yes. It used to be Oriental Studies, yes. but we can't say Oriental anymore. Yes. For obvious reasons. So um, ASOR talk, and I talked about male sexual power versus female sexual mm-hmm. power. And let's lay that out. Um, let's, let's think about that. Just in mammalian terms within antiquity, mm-hmm. within a pre-modern society, what, what do we have going here? So you pointed out that the male can create life from, Literally I don't know, like 14, <laughs> 14 until he dies yeah. in the ancient world. So yay for him. Female? Probably 12, 13. Mm-hmm. So onset of men Starts early. Starts earlier. Through menopause, which mm-hmm. I don't know if their menopause was around the same age as ours. If but you didn't die in childbirth first. Probably you weren't getting pregnant past like 35. It's probable. Probable. Because like so. nowadays we have so many, many things to help. But even 35 now is considered a what? Geriatric. Geriatric pregnancy. mother. You're a geriatric mother. <laughs> so um, you have 15, 15, 18 years mm-hmm. women, but men have like 17. Mm-hmm. If you, however, however long you live. And then just the basic. And ace. you can only have one. You really I can have yeah, one baby a year. And you have the one woman. baby, but the man could literally be making a baby every day. You could have a thousand children a year. To. You could have a thousand children. Yeah. Easy. So it's. If you're the right man in the right place with the right harem surrounding them. Yeah. yeah. So that's a much different. And the man is making the baby outside of his body. So his body is not made vulnerable by it. It doesn't have hormonal changes. He doesn't have to breastfeed. Um, like grow, like physically his, taxing. His hormones yeah. don't change when the baby is two to three to four to five. He doesn't have to worry about that. Much um, hormonal response to a, a, a child screaming out. And, and people know this, like you'll both be sleeping and the kid screams and the mother wakes up and the father doesn't mm. move, but her hormones trigger her to wake up. Mm. Um, female hormones pull people in to ask for care. Um, which is why more females, I would argue, and I know there's other work on this being done to caretake more in society. Yeah. Our hormones ask us to do this. Both, both hormonally and just culturally. We're, I agree. It's a I agree. self-referential thing where people come to our office hours more and treat us in a different way than mm-hmm. they would the males in our mm-hmm. context because of our hormone, now, whether we you smell pheromones or not, um, it's a very debatable discussion, but I would say that, that there's a hormonal element that it makes people treat us differently than they would our male colleagues. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then, and then there's sexual dimorphism. The guy is bigger, even bigger than me or stronger than me. Even if he's not necessarily bigger, he can arm wrestle and win, mm-hmm. but that means that we are more rapeable. Not that men can't be raped, but it, it is more possible to use physical force yeah. of the male against the female. Yeah. Um, and then in terms of just our basic mammalian times of maturity, women mature faster. Mm-hmm. And so, and men mature later, which is, you wonder which how this shit happens. Bigger and stronger. It makes the men bigger and stronger and it puts the women into asymmetrical relationships in the very beginning mm-hmm. in an agricultural society. Mm-hmm. So the women are having babies and linked up and, or put into a marriage situation at 12 or 13 or even younger with somebody who's usually 30. much older, yeah. can be much older. And then even if you get smarter and wiser as you go on in time as a female, you're never going to be able to catch up mm-hmm. with that um, asymmetric. Well, and once it's in place, it's kind of in place. What are you going to do? Nothing. That's everything about it. Yeah. So sexual power, just in terms of power, is something that I, I find really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, no, I think it always, we use this Michael Mann's framework for our mm-hmm. Women in Power course. And I, 
I think the students always very much appreciate your don't forget sexual power add-in. Yeah. Actually, for a lot of things, it helps yeah. things make a lot more sense. And just a reminder for those who don't remember the Michael Mann, it's ideological, economic, military, or violent force, mm-hmm. and political. Yeah. And all of those are overlapping. All of them influence one another. But if you don't put sexual power in there, mm-hmm. in my opinion, and I say sexual, not gender, sexual, sexual. power, yep. um, then you're missing out on a huge part of the, the puzzle because sexual power will exclude a woman from economic power or political power in most contexts, mm-hmm. military power for certain. And so you need to, you need to have that in to the mix. To understand it. Mm-hmm. So then for ancient Egypt, mm-hmm. what were the typical gender roles for men and women? I mean, it's pretty basic, don't you think? Yeah. What do you see? So it's men have the more outside job, mm-hmm. We right? They're in, say we're t- talking about elite men, because that's what we always do. So they're in the administration, bureaucracy, being scribes or overseeing things. Women, I think, as we talked about in the harem episode as well, right? Being a nebet pair, so yeah. lady of the house, yeah. doing more of the house related things obviously this is we have examples to contradict all of these things we have women involved in markets and yeah. involved in outside um work as well mm-hmm. being scribes themselves in some cases rarely uh, rarely, rarely but for the most part no yeah um excluded from professions so the very kept typ- in the home. stereotypical gender roles yeah. you think of probably for any ancient culture yeah. with i think the best way we always talk about it and women in power is that the Egyptian women have a little bit more power in comparison, say, to Greece or the Levant. Um, I mean, like inheriting a, goods and being yes. able to pass things on and things yes. like that, but it, not really. <laughs> no, I mean, they do. They, they can get divorced. They can bring yeah. money into a relationship, into a marriage. They can take the money out of the marriage. But I've argued elsewhere that and I need to write this down more carefully, that the reason that you don't have a virginity test in ancient Egypt, that you don't have women getting stoned for adultery in ancient Egypt is, is for a reason that isn't necessarily very good. Yeah. It's because there's not a lot of land ownership mm-hmm. in ancient Egypt, that the land is mostly owned by institutions, king, temple, whatever, and that people are sharecropping that land. And as such, it doesn't matter. The land is going to get erased by the flood, and then they're going to farm it's it not after the flood. specific family. They don't have to fight over it. And if you don't have to fight over it, it doesn't matter whose kids are whose. It doesn't matter who breaks up with whom. You can be with that guy and then break up and then be with a different guy. So the sexual relationship are much more free-formed, mm-hmm. loose, and and there's less restrictions. Yeah. But that's because economically, there's less opportunity. It's not because they're like woke back then. No, <laughs> yeah. it's not that the Egyptians are more enlightened. It's just that economically... They just didn't work. They didn't... It wasn't necessary. They worked not as hard as other people, um, arguably in West Asia or Italy. They didn't have to plow and move, remove the mm-hmm. rocks and things like that. Farming in Egypt is easy, easy com- in comparison. Not that it's easy, but it's yeah. easier. And if you don't have to pass that land down to the next generation, you don't have to control the womb with veiling, with keeping the woman back inside the house, yeah. with controlling her comings and goings. There's a lot more latitude. So yeah. if your 12 year old falls in love with the neighbor boy and has sex and has a baby, you're like, Oh wow. It was probably more status related. Right. Yes. You wanted someone. Yes. You didn't want your daughter or son or whoever marrying down. Yeah, to either marry laterally of a similar status as you or up. But you don't see any information about that either, do you, Jordan? Do you ever see someone who falls in love with someone and then cannot marry them? 
in Egyptian texts. Like that whole story that we we have all the time. Yeah. Oh, I fell in love with the chauffeur, like in Downton yeah. Abbey or whatever. Mm-hmm. And she can't because she's the daughter of, uh, of the, the big important guy. Om Seti and her past life. What, what did she say? So she says she was like one of the garden attendants and that Seti saw her and was like so wowed by her. But you can do that with the king and the, the harem. Yeah, the king can he can pluck up some wants. beauty and that's no problem. Yeah. But it's a weird thing that you never see like some hot patrician chick falling in love with some dude that's below her station and people saying, no, you can't have him. You don't would have we, those stories. Would we see? <laughs> you would see. We have it in our own uh, American stories. Yeah. You see but that we all also, the time. The concept of like love and marrying someone for love. The Egyptians, I think, had more had, like, ability love. to exercise love than other places. Evidence for love, yes. But I can only imagine that your dad would not be cool if you were some elite lady and you were like, yeah, I want to marry the like farm laborer that's tending our... So, so I guess they. it's less about love and marriage yeah. and more about love and sex. In- like, and then if elite lady falls for the farm laborer, she can have him. And yeah, no one seems to say anything against it. The fact that there's no repercussions or punishments or laws means that this kind of thing was more freely handled, I would assume. And, and so... Maybe she wish they were allowed to have a relationship. But yeah. That's the coolest thing about Egypt to me, is that there's yeah. less punishment, less policing. control, less policing yeah. of sexuality than... Anywhere in the ancient world yeah. that I've ever seen. That's, it's rather mad. And it goes along with the amount of female power, mm-hmm. which is greater than anywhere in the ancient world that I've ever seen, except for maybe China. Yeah, we don't. See, I was going to say, I've like looked through the wisdom literature recently, and you don't see like, you know, mm-hmm. things about don't engage, you know, nothing's ever like, don't marry. It's mm-hmm. all just like, have kids. Make sure you have a lot of kids and keep your wife happy. and. It's, it's all very laid back, mm-hmm. super laid back. And that's very different from what Egypt is like now. Uh, now there's uh, much more, there, there's strict rules about who you can marry, about what kinds of goods you bring into the household, how these things work. Um, I, I see way more rules what? and way more shaming for sexuality outside of the marriage, things like that. I think hugely yeah. problematic, but you're importing and a Christian Islamic culture from the outside, from places that are more yeah. inherently competitive, but even like Levant or Saudi Arabia, pushing yeah, those into uh, Egypt, and that's taken over. That the Egyptian religion didn't, was all about mm-hmm. sex and yeah, very, very yeah. freely, mm-hmm. very freely. Which is a perfect segue because yeah. So we know we have a lot of myths talking about um, that. I think are good references or good lenses to use to understand the Egyptian thought on sex and gender Mm -hmm. and all these things. Um, Obviously talking about the concepts of creation and rebirth and on the start of humanity. And it's all through sex. Yeah. Um, It's not God made. It's not cerebral. I think. And I speak. thing. No. No. Um, So we have some myths that detail things. Yes. Okay, let's jump into Um, those. You can't get more sexy than this stuff. So we have... You're going to do readings? I don't have readings. Dramatic readings of the coffin texts or anything? That's too bad. I was uh, relying upon your description. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there's like, there's coffin texts that are like, and then Autumn took his phallus into his grasp that he might make orgasm with it. And it's very clear. It's very clearly stated. So we have Autumn. So creation story. Yes. What's the lowdown on that? Oh my god! Quick and dirty. So oh. Autumn creates the world through 
Through sex with himself, yeah. with a part of himself. And because the part no he one uses else is his hand. No one exists. It's just him. He doesn't even exist. Yes, he really. creates himself through. Yeah, so he's like floating around in the. F- so Atum is floating around in the four primeval elements darkness, hiddenness, <laughs> hiddenness infinity, infinity, and primeval matter. Noon, no net. And each is a male female pair, but that's not important right now. Yep. So he's, he's floating around to create himself. He reaches out his hand to his penis, which is like, I mean, it's, I imagine he's like floating around he's like, and he's like, ah, gets his hand out there and penis is ready to go. Um, always in these texts and in these images, always ready to go and has this orgasm, yep. which is like a big bang. If you like, yes, he yep. jacks himself off. Sorry. I forgot that part. Masturbates and creates himself. Yeah. And then two things, one of two things, happens, please, depending on this is text. where it gets confusing, but you can imagine the orgasm like, makes him come into being and then he takes one of the stories is that he takes it into his mouth yes his semen his yes. seed and he spits it yeah right and then that becomes the, that well no before he spits he has to sneeze yes so the sneezing efflux the sneezing creates the the air the empty void the sun-filled void and it creates shoe so he sneezes out shoe the god of light and space. Mm-hmm. So if you're in pre-creation with the infinity and the hiddenness and the primeval matter, and it's just all like a black hole on top of each other in the Egyptian, very elegant sense, mm-hmm. elegant, earthy materialist. Yeah. And then you sneeze, you create the void in which to make shit. That you, g- yeah, you give the yourself space. the arena in yeah. which to work. Then he sneezes or no, spits, spits. Yeah. or spits. Oh, sorry. Then he spits. Yeah. Sorry. And then he creates Tefnut, who is shoes partner and and then he doesn't have to have sex with himself anymore well he kind of does autumn is always having sex sex with himself but shu and tefnut have sex and they create um newt and geb newt is the sky goddess geb is the earth god and then they have sex and they create osiris isis neftis and seth and they pair up and um and you also have with the gods i've just named what the what the greek word assigned to that is the ennead the nine um, if you want to get more Tolkien-esque, the nine or a broad, right? So the nine gods, um, starting with Atum at the top and then going down into mm-hmm. all of these generations. But the cool thing about this creation story, in comparison to the ones that we grew up with in a Judeo-Christian yeah. Islamic reality, is that one, it's very earth, it's mm-hmm. very sexual, it's very physical. It is the way creation happens in the earth that we live in, which is interesting. And number two, it's that it has to happen again and again. But what? It's not one and done. Like I just masturbate once and that's it. It's that the Egyptians understand yeah. that they have to create contexts and homes and temples and spaces mm-hmm. where the God can do this every year, every week, every season, yeah. every day. That's the sun God story. Mm-hmm. Every day that's he fun. has to recreate himself yep. sexually. But what's interesting to me is that the first sex act we have is not a male female yeah. which is to the egyptians would have been how life would have been like created but it is but it is but it is because the hand is feminine it's the word jarret and think of it like smurf smurfette <laughs> the t ending is the feminine the t ending so is the, the feminine thing yeah feminized jarret and he is taking his feminine element yeah. and he is making it into a fist but then ingesting it the mouth um the row is not feminine, yeah. but that, 
Yeah. So I, I don't know as much about the auto fellatio parts, yeah. but um, it's, it's a but container. Guess, but it's, it's a almost, container. But it's almost like almond. Again, as we were talking about earlier, is both male and female. We think of him yes. maybe as more male because he's a phallus and all this yes. stuff. But maybe, like we think of the sun god's journey of being going through. And there are and, these crazy you know, images of autophilatio in the Book of Earth, Book of Caverns, in particular, where the god is ingesting his own future self into him, his own womb of self. That's what, yeah. Which is making himself into a male and female. Mm-hmm. So the audio fellatio is like one step additional where you don't even need a female container yeah. because he is he the is female huge. container. Yeah. Whereas the sun god impregnates the sky goddess, yeah. not sky god, sky goddess. And by impregnating the sky goddess with his own future self, he is bull of his mother. Yeah. He is the, the one who creates his own future self by mounting, whew, so there's a meta. word, his own mother. Very meta. And it's all, where do you think the Virgin Mary came from? Where do you think the, the, the pure virgin birth was? I mean, this is Egyptian stuff. Mm-hmm. This is Egyptian thinking about how do gods just, create they themselves. They didn't have idea of virgin, so it didn't matter. I mean. Or they might have, but the whole. But they didn't use virginity. virginity. No, but they didn't, they didn't obsess about virginity in the way Judeo-Christianity yeah. has obsessed about virginity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that yeah. is absolutely true. And then our, I think our last good myth is Osiris and Isis. Yeah. So Which, what's, what's that story? Um, well, let me go back. Can I go back really fast yeah. to the creation myth? Sure. So the creation myth is super interesting because most of the creation myths that we've grown up with in the Judeo-Christian context in a polytheistic sense mm-hmm. are about Mother Earth and Gaia and the woman of the earth who creates all of us. This turns all of that on its head mm-hmm. and makes it about the father earth and mother sky and it's Anna Macy Roth who's written yes, the most about this that. so if you can find her stuff on JSTOR mm-hmm. I would these are really great articles mm-hmm. and um it's it's just a different take an opposite take in this binary world than we expect and it's yeah. something you can well, do and a that, lot like, with both parts are necessary right it's not mm-hmm. one without the other so that the idea of conception and the creation of life isn't just there is power to be found in, you would think there's power to be the creator, right? Yep. I'm the woman, I can bear the babies, I'm the mother earth, but there's not. Because if you don't create what they want, mm. like the male, mm-hmm. or you don't create at the right time, yeah. or the baby dies, you will be blamed. So in the mm-hmm. Judeo-Christian Islamic world, where there is inherently that polytheistic retention of the female as the creator, Oh, I get what you're saying. Uh-huh. The female is blamed. Mm-hmm. The female is divorced. The like female is maligned. Henry VIII not being the able fem- to have a yes, male heir. Exactly. Was the woman's fault. Or she is the witch or whatever. Something's wrong with her, yeah. Whereas in the Egyptian side, it gives the woman a great deal of power to say, look, I'm just the receptacle here. I'm just receiving yeah, what, what is. <laughs> so he's, and, and when a couple cannot conceive, the woman is not blamed. The man is blamed, and the man is, no, the woman is said to be dry. Which means that he has not made his deposit. Yep. So he's the flood and the seed. And so the amount of power that affords a female in a very quotidian sense, day to day, why aren't you pregnant yet? She can't be blamed for it. Like very hard for us to conceive because even though we know Mm -hmm. it takes two, I still feel like women take on a lot of the burden if they're having issues conceiving or things like this. And how much rides upon the woman having the male child at the right time, Mm -hmm. economically and Mm -hmm. socially, these things are fraught. 
And if you don't have, if you're hot Shepsut, for instance, yeah. and you give birth to a daughter instead of to a son, and you are hoping for the son because that you know that that's going to be the next king, but instead, what does she have a daughter? She's not blamed for it. Her her brother husband is the one blamed for it. It doesn't mean there's no issues. There are. Yeah. But she's not the one that's going to take the fall. And that's really interesting. So in a day-to-day life experience of couplings and power dynamics generationally, mm-hmm. the woman is not going to be taken down for these things going wrong. So I, I like that aspect yeah. of it. You would think that it would take power away from a woman, to take the goddess power away of creation, but in fact, it, it grants more if, power. Yeah, if it's thought about in that way. In yeah. In most cases, it's not, right? No, the goddess power of creation is there in Greece, it's in Rome, it's in West Asia, and West Asia, it's arguable. I mean, this is not, it's, it's, I don't want to oversimplify, but women are so often blamed for not producing what is expected or needed at the time mm-hmm. and blamed in a way that can be horrific for their own personal yeah. lives. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So then in the, we have one more myth that kind of, that discusses this as well. So the myth of Osiris, the death of Osiris and uh-huh. Isis's role. Uh-huh. And so what's this story? Yeah, this is a great story. Um, and it's a story that's not told in full until mm-hmm. Plutarch mm-hmm. in, you're not allowed to write this down. Mm-hmm. This Osiris story and his murder and dismemberment is so charged and so problematic. Plutarch himself writes, I'm not supposed to write this shit down, but I'm going to tell you. And then the ISIS, it's part of the ISIS cult and the spreading of all of this information. But it's essentially Osiris is king of the world. Mm -hmm. And his brother, Seth, who is the the lord of the deserts, is very upset and jealous. And he kills him and he tricks him. By saying, I made this really nice coffin. It's a weird, such a weird story. They're like, look at this coffin I made for you. Isn't it great? Do you want to try it out? And, and Osiris sure. is like, oh my God, it's a beautiful coffin. I love it. And gets inside and then he murders him. And or, chops him into pieces. And chops him up into pieces that he cannot be reborn. And spreads those pieces throughout Egypt, right? So there's like yeah. 42 pieces and he puts them yeah. in all the different provinces of Egypt. The story can get very intense, right? And then it's up to who? Isis. Isis. Wife. Sister wife. And she goes out and collects everything. She, she finds find everything except for his penis. Which was eaten by <laughs> a fish. I know. You can't make this shit up, right? So so the penis is gone. It was eaten by a fish. So Isis is able to collect all the other body goes, parts. Oh, no. I'm missing the most important piece. Gets in together, creates the first mummy, yeah. right? But she's missing the most important part. So what does what she do? do? Fashions one herself. She's, a, makes she's the, first the dildo. mistress of magic. Makes the first dildo. Puts it on him, uh-huh. gets on top. She mounts in this case, yeah. which is interesting because you well, know he's and then, dead. So I or have half no fear. Like they're like switching feminine and masculine mm-hmm. roles. Mm-hmm. I like that. And you know, Very I don't think anybody's really written about she's this. She's the one who's. Does she's it all. the one. She's on top. Yeah, he's prone, he's lying, lying there. there like useless. I don't think anyone's really written about. She this. makes the penis. Yeah, she does. Makes she it does. makes it functional. She does, and then she mounts it. I, I think it's amazing. It's amazing. It's all her. So she's the mistress of magic who makes all of this happen. She conceives the next god, who is Horus. Yeah, he's dead. And he continues to be dead. So Osiris, his mythology then is that seasonally, yeah. he will, not daily, he's like poor Persephone guy. Almost in a weird he's like Persephone. He's, weird. A, he's a male version of Persephone, <laughs> Persephone on point. <laughs> on point, exactly. So when the, the seasons change, which for the Egyptians will be in summer, mm-hmm. not in spring, but that's when he will reach out his hand to his penis, grasp it to make orgasm. 
so that his orgasm will create the Nile flood, which will start June, July and, and continue on. And he's a seasonal God, right? Seasonal male perception. Um, and then becomes the king of the underworld. Mm-hmm. And- but he has to stay there. He has yeah. to stay there. And Isis, Isis gets to go. It. No, yeah. she does not. She roams to and fro and yeah. she's super active. Um, she's badass yeah. and amazing. It's so, weird that we call him king of mm-hmm. the underworld and other stuff because mm-hmm. it's actually much more her. Yeah. But, but the underworld's active. perfect for him too because where does the water come from? Where do the primeval waters come from? Cave, but the, the caves are under yeah. the earth. And so him being the god of the underworld or inside of the sky, that's where the, the noon is also thought to be, makes perfect sense then that, that he would be there in that place. And then his seasonal ejaculation would then create the efflux that would, that would flood the world. And yeah, yeah. It's, and, and then the people left on earth are the sons of Horus, mm-hmm. if you like. Yeah, because then Horus comes and Horus is the first king mm-hmm. and then so on and so forth. And then the kings mm-hmm. are all Horuses. Yeah. In their own right. Yeah. They're all yeah. called Horus. That is the first title of kingship mm-hmm. in ancient Egypt, the title of Horus. Not king or some abstract word that means king, but the god Horus. And they equate themselves yep. with that god. Yeah. yeah. It's a good story. I always mm-hmm. like that one. But the fact that they, you know, when you read this in pharaonic texts, like Book of the Never Dead, they do not, Full pyramid texts, you know, they'll be like, the one who fell under the Yaru tree. And you're like, who's the one who fell under the Yaru tree? And it's, Osiris getting murdered, but they don't ever say it outright. It's always a passive voice mm-hmm. and very confusing. But for the Egyptians to actually state that Seth is murdered and Osiris dismembered. Murdered, yeah. Oh, sorry. Osiris is murdered and dismembered. They would never, they would never state it outright. Yep. And it takes this Greek dude to come in mm-hmm. and, and put it all out there Spill for us to secrets. read. Mm-hmm. Thank you to our listeners for your support and for subscribing wherever you listen. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a five-star review and help raise our profile and let others know about it. Send your questions related to the show and topic suggestions for future episodes to karakuni at gmail.com. You can find the video version of the show on my YouTube page and full show notes will be posted in the podcast section of my website, karakuni.squarespace.com. For that, thank you, Amber Myers-Wells. There you'll also find info on my books, upcoming lectures, and you can subscribe to my newsletter. You can find me on Facebook at Karakuni Egyptologist and on Twitter and Instagram at Karakuni. See you next time on Afterlives with Karakuni. Are you the creative type? And you already know lots of cool things Photoshop can do, like create eye-popping images for social and gorgeous graphics for t-shirts and posters. But did you also know it can instantly turn a gray sky into a fiery sunset, change black and white to color in a click, or make anything in your photo magically disappear? Maybe you're wondering, can anyone use Photoshop to take images from ordinary to amazing? Nope, everyone can. Visit Photoshop.com and get started for free.